there, dreamers. You're listening to Steam Daydream with National Children's Museum. Each month, kids just like you will interview STEAM innovators for answers to their biggest questions. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire kids to care about and change the world. And we encourage all kids to dream through the lens of STEAM. I'm glad you could make it to the worldwide flying extravaganza. And you're just in time, too. I'm just about to take my friend Dominique up in my airplane. Hi, AJ. How about the worldwide flying extravaganza? Isn't it amazing? It's pretty great, in fact. <laughs> How would you like to be part of today's show? Really? I would love to, but I don't even know how a plane flies. Well, hop on in and I'll show you. Okay. Okay, Dominique. So flying will be broken down into the four elements of flight. Thrust, lift, drag, and weight. Here we are at the start of the runway. I'm going to turn on the engine, creating thrust that moves the plane forward. As we keep increasing our thrust, we start moving faster down the runway until it's time to take off. Whoa, we're really moving fast. But I don't see the wings flapping. How are we going to lift off the ground? Well, birds and even some insects need to flap their wings to fly. But airplane wings are different. Airplane wings are curved in just the right way so that air flows faster over the top of them and slower under the bottom. This creates low pressure on the top and high pressure on the bottom that lifts the airplane in the air. That's it! We're starting to lift off the ground. Amazing! Now that we're flying in the air, it's time to talk about the next element, drag. Drag is caused by the plane pushing through particles in the air. The faster the plane moves, the more air particles it pushes through and we experience more drag. Luckily, the sleek, smooth, aerodynamic body of the airplane barely feels any drag at all. I use the engine to thrust the plane forward to keep us moving. Now, the last element of flight helps us land. 
weight. Everything has weight, especially big airplanes. We can just slow down our engines a little bit to reduce our thrust, and we let gravity bring the plane down to the ground. That was awesome. Thanks for the ride, AJ. But I still have so many questions about flight. Don't worry. We'll leave it to the experts. Today on Steam Daydream, we're joined by David, our kid interviewer from Pennsylvania. He'll talk to Frank Hatton of Boeing to learn more about how planes fly. But let's not forget, planes aren't the only things that fly. Later in the show, I'll chat with Dr. Brian Evans, a bird expert from the Smithsonian's National Zoo, to learn how animals stay in the air. David, take it away. Hi, my name is David, and I'm a second grader in Pennsylvania. My name is Frank Haddon. I work for the Boeing Company, and that's North Charleston location. The first airplane flown in 1903 looks a lot different than airplanes we have today. How have airplanes changed to make sure they work with the forces of flight? The first plane that was ever flown was done by the Wright brothers. And that flown was plane was made basically out of cloth and um, wire and wood. Whereas today's planes, very advanced technical marvels that are made out of heavy metals like steel, aluminum, things like that. Now we're to a point now where we're using materials like composite materials, carbon fiber. That's very high tech, but it's extremely lightweight. Remember we said about the four elements of flight, we don't like weight on planes. By building a plane like that, it makes our plane um, much more durable. It can last longer. So it's technology that's been the huge leap forwards when it comes to aviation. What has been your favorite part about your job? Believe it or not, the favorite part of my job is actually talking to students. Here's why. I've been fortunate enough to have a great career. I have a job that I like so much that I actually consider this a calling, more of a passion. I get to talk to students to help to inspire them, not to consider just working for Boeing or our aerospace industry, but to consider studying into fields that will lead them into careers in STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. What is the largest airplane you have ever worked on? Well, the only plane that I've ever worked on personally is our Boeing 787 Dreamliner that we built in our North Charleston facility. And what was your favorite part about building that plane? The favorite part? Uh, seeing the finished product. When I first started with uh, the Boeing company, they taught us how to put parts on the plane. Uh, it's one of the first time I ever worked in that kind of environment, a manufacturing environment. But to see a finished plane that you, st you start putting parts on at the beginning of the process, 90 days later, roll out of the factory and then fly off, and you know that plane's gonna be carrying people on it one day. It's a sort of a special feeling. If an airplane were a Lego set, how many pieces would it have? I can give you a specific answer for our 787 Dreamliner. It has about 3 million parts. Think about that. Once we get all the parts in our North Charleston facility, about 3 million parts, 90 days later approximately, 
we're flying a plane off somewhere to carry people around the world. That's technology, guys. If kids want to be airline engineers, one day, where can they start? If kids want to be engineers, some of the skills that you need to have to be an engineer, you have to have um, a very creative mind. You have to love math. As one engineer told me, you have to dream math the way some people dream about things. You have to have good hand-eye coordination because you do a lot of things with your hand. But more importantly, it's, it's just that creative spirit of just wanting to understand how things work and how to create things. So I always encourage um, young people as early as kindergarten or first grade to start doing things like Lego sets, to start doing things like playing with mini robots, anything like that where you can take apart and put back together, it connects with that part of your brain that brings out those creative juices. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire children to care about and change the world. How would you change the world? That's a question that I think about quite a bit. My sole purpose for living is to help to inspire the next generation. So when I wake up, I think, okay, how can I inspire young people by connecting with the community to give them information about all these great opportunities? Part of my mission is to try to connect with as many people as possible to make sure that nobody gets missed out on these opportunities to understand that if you start early enough, if you invest in yourself by listening to your educators and being consistent, this program that the National Children's Museum has is one of those kind of programs that can help our young people get to that next generation. So I'm inspired to do this. Can I ask you a question? What grade are you in? Second. What do you like to do right now? Science. Okay, great. Well, you're already on the, on the right track. The fact that you said you like science, that's part of the key. Just enjoy it. Have fun with it. Science can be a lot of fun. Engineering can be a lot of fun. It's just a science. If you keep that mindset, there's nothing in the world you can't do. That was so cool. Thank you so much, David, for sharing your interview with us. Back here at the Worldwide Flying Extravaganza, we're getting ready for our Feathered Flyers portion of the show. To learn a little bit more about how birds fly, let's take a listen to my interview with Dr. Brian Evans. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Evans. I'm a migratory bird ecologist at the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center. A migratory bird ecologist is somebody who studies how birds respond to their environment and specifically birds that migrate, which are birds that move around the world seasonally. The four forces of flight are lift, drag, weight, and thrust. How do birds use these forces to fly? Well, each of those forces play a really important role in flight. And it starts really with lift for me. So it's all about the shape of the bird's wing. The front of the bird's wing is pretty thick, and then it sort of tapers and curves down towards the end of the wing where it's thin. And we call that the curvature of the wing. And that curvature is shaped like the wing of an airplane. As the air passes across the wing, on the top it moves at a different speed than at the bottom and that causes the wing to lift up. That's the force of lift that pulls the bird up into the air. But there's other forces that play a large role in that. So one is weight. The lift has to be greater than the weight 
that's pulling down. That's the force of gravity pulling down on the bird. So it's being pulled down by gravity and being pulled up by lift. If lift is greater than gravity, the bird will rise. If lift is less than gravity, the bird will go lower. In order to get that lift though, it needs to move forward. And that's the thrust of the bird. The bird has to thrust forward and it acts sort of like uh, paddles on a canoe or on a kayak. It sort of paddles its way by flapping its wings through the air. And that passes the air that's actually still across the wing and allows it to generate lift. But there's another force. You had mentioned drag and drag is moving in the opposite direction. If we've ever stood outside on a windy day, we have the wind sort of facing at us and we might try to walk forward, but it tries to push us back. It's the same way with a bird's wing as they're trying to fly. As they're paddling their way through the air and as the lift is moving to lift those wings up, drag is pushing the other way. It's moving against that power of thrust and if the drag slows down the bird enough, then the lift will actually go down and the bird will start to lower. So they need to keep flapping their wings to get around drag. So much goes into both reducing weight of the bird, like they have hollow bones to be as light as possible, to both reduce weight and to make them as aerodynamic as possible to reduce drag. Why can't all birds fly? Yeah, well, it takes a lot to fly. It takes a real lot to fly, and it takes really a lot of adaptations for flight. So I had mentioned the hollow bones. Birds have hollow bones to stay as light as possible. Birds through evolution lost their teeth. They have bills now because teeth are heavy. They have these exceptionally large breast muscles that allow them to flap their wings because it's really hard to flap your wings all the time. Their breastbone is actually in a bird sticks straight out. Ours is flat on our chest, but on a bird it sticks straight out and it's where these giant muscles can attach. So all of these things take a lot for the bird to use. You wouldn't want these extra tools if you didn't need them to fly. Birds use flight to find food, to move to different areas, to escape from predators. If they're in an environment where they don't need to fly to find food, where they don't need to fly to escape predators, then over time, those birds will start to lose those really expensive adaptations for flight. So there's cases in, in New Zealand, for example, where you have these really cute little birds that that don't even have real flight feathers. They have fuzzy feathers instead of instead of those streamlined flight feathers because they don't need streamlined flight feathers where they are. And they can't really fly because they actually don't have any predators in their area that that they need to fly away from. Are there any mammals that can fly? Well, there's just one that can truly fly and and it's the bat. So bats can truly fly. They fly, um, it's not quite differently than birds fly, but they have to flap their wings really, really fast. They make basically like a cyclone of air above their wings and that generates the lift that they need. And it also means they can just turn on a dime, which is really important if you're a bat because they're going after moths and things like that in the air above the ground. 
If kids are interested in learning more about birds, what steps can they take? So I personally think that the most important step to take, if you're interested in birds or plants or any other type of wildlife, is to make observations. So in terms of the equipment that you need to start studying birds, to me, it's really a pencil and a pad. And you get out there and you just sit as quiet as you possibly can and you watch birds and you write down what they're doing. And if you can start to tell one type of bird from another type of bird, find yourself a field guide. You can use that field guide to identify the individual birds. And, and then you can say, I saw this robin and this is what the robin did. It moved in these funny zigzag patterns across the lawn. And you build up all these observations and those observations are really what makes the study of birds important and what makes it real is just making these observations. National Children's Museum's mission is to inspire children to care about and change the world. How do you change the world? I think the study of wildlife is really important because we know that people do great harm to wildlife. So the research that I do is specifically aimed at the steps that we as people can take to reduce that harm, to make sure that, that we as people can, can live with wildlife and, and actually help wildlife maintain themselves. That's all for this week, Dreamers. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website, nationalchildrensmuseum.org, to find STEAM videos, programs, and resources to keep your curiosity sparked all month long. If you have a question about water, water safety, and climate change, we want to hear from you. Click on the link in our show notes to record your question. And be sure to begin the recording with your name, age, city, and state. Take care, dreamers. Steam Daydream with National Children's Museum is generously sponsored by GEICO. Narrated by AJ Calvert and produced by Aubrey Vaughn with additional production by Maddie Zampanti of Conceptual Podcasting. 